Welcome back to Titans of Customer Engagement, a customer experience podcast by Coros. We are very excited to be joined by the head of partner and customer engagement for Lyft, Bikes, Scooters, and Transit, Chris Vetrano. This Coros Titan found his passion for engagement after being inspired by the pop music industry and running his own American Idol Fantasy League. Now leading the smallest team with the biggest impact, Chris is looking to give back to the customers that help Lyft become a leader in rideshare. Hosted by Coro's Oracle, Jake Roadhouse, so you know it's going to be quite the conversation. So enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Titans of Customer Engagement podcast. My name is Jake Roadhouse, and I'm a business value consultant here at Coro's. Today, we are fortunate enough to be joined by one and only Chris Ventrano from Lyft. Chris is located in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee, and he's... Um, we're fortunate enough for him to join us for a little under an hour today to talk about customer engagement, uh, his specific business unit or business division within Lyft. But before we get to all that, let's start with the sort of fun icebreaker. And um, I, I like to do this from time to time. People have some of the more boring icebreakers out there. I like to make mine a little bit more exciting. And I got to ask Chris and it can be the answer could be anything, right? the The question is, what was the first concert you ever went to, or that really blew your mind and affected you? And hey, if it was a friend's jazz recital, that's fine, right? If it was an older brother, an older sister, or an uncle's classical recital, that's fine. And if it was a band that seems a little long in the tooth, that's fine too. But I'd love to hear when was your first concert. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I uh, I think my when you said it could be a, a family member, it kind of brought back a memory that I I was at a young age. I saw uh, my uncle who was in a rock band uh, that was like a local Denver rock band. Denver's where I grew up, and um, I went to a couple of their shows. I know it was a Halloween show, and they dressed up like Kiss. Um, and I dressed up like a devil. I, I think I was maybe like eight or something. So um, I don't even know how I got into that show thinking about it now. But um, I think the memory that I have of that concert is probably just because I've seen photos. I, I couldn't tell you much about that show. Um, but the first like concert that I remember, um, and it was the, a big concert, was actually um, and maybe maybe embarrassingly, but uh, but it was it was the first concert that I went to was the Spice Girls um, when they I think it was their like final tour before they broke up and uh, yeah that's awesome I love that I love that so yeah um, you know fair is fair share and share alike um, I'm not ashamed of it I will never be ashamed of it. I'm very proud of it my first big concert was the Grateful Dead. Uh, April 13th, 1988. I was 14 years old. Wow. And it was a, yeah, it was a really big deal for me. And I went on to see many, many, many more, 160 odd plus more Grateful Dead shows after that. I became fanatical about the Grateful Dead and still am to this day. Um, love that band. And they're not for everybody, uh, of course. Um, but for the people that really do like them and get them, they are a, a special thing. And when I look back at my concern, care for a scene, mm -hmm. for an experience, I think back to my early years with the Grateful Dead yeah. because it, they're, they're well known for 
how intertwined they were with the deadheads, mm-hmm. as they're called, audience, yeah. right? And that it was a special, very tribal thing. And, um, you know, because bands, w- I mean, fans would follow the Grateful Dead on their tours yeah. and they were very uh, involved, sometimes, you know, indulging in the social lubricants to reach these higher planes Absolutely, of, of, of dance friends. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So um, for better or for worse, um, I think a lot of that trickled into my love for community, the, the platform, you know, of which I, I want to also talk to you. Yeah. Um, because um, actually one of their main lyrics writers was a gentleman who was heavily involved in the first community online in the internet, uh, a gentleman by the name of John Barlow, yeah. who was also involved in what we call the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which has done internet freedom rights and things like that. This is going all the way back to the 80s. Yeah. And um, the first online community on in the internet, or big one, was called The Well and still exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and John Barlow was, he, like I said, a lyricist for the Grateful Dead, but he was also sort of a vanguard in that scene, that internet community scene. Yeah, definitely. And at, as it turns out, a lot of the music lovers, along with people that were into photography and scuba and parachuting and who knows what, are some of the early adopters of using community and sort of sharing tribal knowledge mm-hmm. on the internet to enhance other people's knowledge on the subject or the hobby or the passion that, that you know, that, that they share. Absolutely. And I think that either resonates with you or not, right? You either get it or you don't. Not everybody is cut or ready to be, to be ready to be in food service or hospitality or creating a customer experience that people really enjoy. And you can't always do it, right? I mean, I, I think of these people sometimes that are working for the airlines and they're very passionate and they love their customers. And yet so many of the customers kind of blow up and go crazy. Right. And um, at any rate, coming a, a little bit back to the, the point in your experience, it's interesting that your experience with with music, which is a, a passionate mm-hmm. thing, and and catchiness and a good experience that you saw early on or identified that that could be, um, that that could be a living, yeah. that could be a career, that that the yeah. heart of it could be a career. Yeah, right? definitely. And so then, tell me a little bit about then professionally how you evolved. I mean, I assume maybe you went to college, yeah, maybe not, but you evolved into getting into customer experience, customer service, and then how you find your way to live. Yeah. Yeah. So it, the, the journey was like a bit of a, you know, we we took some different detours, I guess, to get here. Um, But yeah, we definitely, I I went to college. I think, you know, in the same spirit of talking about community is, you know, I share the Spice Girl story of like, there was something about this machine. I was really obsessed with the story of like how they were put together through an ad in the newspaper and they were, you know, ended up being this massive group um, with these songs that people still, still remember and dance to 20 years later and potentially are impacting new generations like your daughter. Um, And I, and I got really interested in that and then started later, uh, 
investing in kind of this other machine of the like bubblegum pop music. And I also, you know, liked a lot of like rap music as a kid and a lot of rock music. And, and I think probably the reason that I went to the Spice Girls was my first concert. Uh, Cause my mom wouldn't let me go to a lot of the other ones at Red Rocks for, uh, so I definitely wouldn't have been at a Grateful Dead concert. Right, I think she right. would have been a little nervous about what I was going to experience. But, um, and so I, I had to kind of keep it more tame, but I really became so ingrained and obsessed with the, uh, with the industry of it all. And that oftentimes led me to communities and to online forums and, mm-hmm. you know, even things like, uh, Napster and, and LimeWire and like downloading music was a community in a way because mm-hmm. we were, we were accessing music. I remember like finding, uh, Muse, unreleased music from artists that I loved because I could find it through various communities. And, and then in college, um, I, we had a, a group of friends that a bunch of us were watching American Idol at the like height of the American Idol uh, craze. Right. And we created this sort of uh, fantasy uh, football type style competition <laughs> through Idol that we called Fantasy Idol. And, uh, and with that, through Facebook, we created our very first essentially community, uh, which was a group of us that would go on and do our fantasy draft picks for the American Idol's upcoming American Idol season. And every week we would sort of like have various uh, competition through that. And uh, I started writing like recaps in that of like the night before and what happened awesome. and somebody was like, oh, you should do this like more widely. And so then I created a blog called The Idol Insider um, and built that on uh, like Blogger, I think at the time and, uh, and started a community where I started getting some, some readers that were outside of my college. And then from there uh, that led to me creating like kind of a, a general music blog that I uh-huh. uh called Tragic Kingdom, which was the No Doubt album, which was one of of the, another impactful album in my life. And then through that, I started picking work that was tied into music and into sort of this space. And so I worked for Village Voice Media and setting up all of their social profiles Mm. for all of their 14 markets. Um, Later went to, uh, started a, a kind of a, marketing branding agency uh, with a friend of mine. Uh, We were uh, helping produce a music festival in Colorado at the time. And, uh, and when that sort of sold and after we grew that festival and its 10th anniversary, uh, we were at a crossroads of what do we do next? And I wanted to move more into the music space. And so I moved to Nashville and started pursuing uh, a, whatever it may be in music. And I landed at a company around music discovery where we had a a print publication magazine. Uh, We had an online publication. It was all about sort of like art, a place for artists to come and connect with their community and share music in exchange for email addresses, which would then uh, essentially build the artist's community. And I really was uh, very fascinated again in like building this what you're talking about, like the deadheads or building this, right, like right. this legion of people that yeah. want to follow everything that these artists do. And so I did that, um, led to artist management, uh, started working with a number of a handful of artists as their manager for a number of years. And, uh, 
won't name any of them because of what I'm going to say next, which is that being an artist manager, you also realize that like there's parts of the industry that you don't want to be exposed to. And as a fan, you don't necessarily want to peek behind the curtain. And so uh, I got into a space where I was just feeling like not inspired by it anymore. And what was I going to do next? And uh, Lyft was opening their office here in Nashville and was looking for someone to stand up their social uh, sort of response team. And and I had been so ingrained in social and I had worked at that point for a number of years, I want to say like 10 years, like sort of on my own where I was just like throwing ideas at the wall instead of being able to actually like talk to a lot of people and engage with people. And I missed that. And so uh, Lyft felt like a really special place when I went through the interview process. And when I uh, ultimately got offered the job, it just felt like a natural fit. And from there, I uh, stood up the rideshare side of the business's first social response team. Uh, we started in like a closet, essentially. Of uh, <laughs> I think there was like three people on, on my team, and then grew it to about sixty-five. Um, and then and now it continues to grow. Um, but started working with uh, Lithium at the time, which is now Coros, yes. and yes. Uh, started working on all of the different opportunities that we could do and engage with our, our customers. And something that became really important to me in that process was that Lyft has a specific brand. People knew us for pink mustaches on the road. People knew our brand as sort of like the fist bumps. And so yeah. it got became really important to me to think about like, how do we bring that to our users online? And through our social channels, that was the best way to do it. And so um, kind of set some set some foundation for how do we want to engage on social, uh, on the social platforms. And then later, uh, when we uh, started uh, putting bikes and scooters out into the world, uh, the opportunity for me to stand up the support infrastructure for a more widely for all of our bikes and scooters line of business was presented to me. And it just felt like, a really great new challenge, but I think part of what I'm so passionate about now with our uh, bikes and scooters line of business is that it is truly this community. And bikers are some of the like most active, loyal people, and they love each other. And it's something that I'm really excited to kind of tap into now that we're um, now that we're sort of like have this foundation within the bikes and scooter community. What a great story! I love that. I, I love no. how you found your way to lift that sort of gateway or intersection with being in the industry and kind of, as many of us know, the, the wickedness of that industry yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yep. and, and how it can be a bit of a heartbreaker. And yep. you, you, when you were talking about the camaraderie and solidarity amongst cyclists there, that there's mm -hmm. a real folksy feeling and a, and a mutual sort of respect and understanding that maybe they can only understand, right? I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's one of the things about you get involved in these communities. And I love the idol story too. I could really, I, I could really yeah. pick your brain around that. Um, because <laughs> yeah. it's interesting that you were, you know, a hobbyist on idol uh, about idol and all of a sudden you're becoming an authority on it. You're considered an expert, like in the folksy scene, right? Like you've got the blog yeah. and everything which is something you never asked for. You didn't seek that mm -hmm. out. It was just, it just arrived because you loved it. Right. And yeah, it was passion. Yeah, exactly. And then what did that evolve or mature into? Well, working for village voice media, mm -hmm. and then eventually finding your way to 
And, and then you talk about finding a way into lifting and the elbows. No, I was going to say having to throw some elbows to expand that. Maybe you did have to throw some elbows, but maybe it was a real natural growth. Did you feel like you? I mean, my experience with lift and just going on site and the people that I had to, uh, that I got to meet there in Nashville yeah. was that everyone seemed really collaborative and excited. It was a great space, great office um, that I saw, and and everyone was very friendly and welcoming. Did you ever feel like you had to break down some walls or throw elbows, or were were people like, yeah, the world that this guy comes from? It may be different than a conventional business, or you may not even been in quote unquote tech. You were in social. Yeah. But yeah. did you find people willing to embrace your ideas and what you're wanting to expand and how operationally you were evolving things? Or did you did you have to fight a little bit? Yeah, I mean I think it, it was less of a fight, but I think that, you know, we I the the Nashville office at the time was like, you know, essentially the hub of our call center experience. So when you think about social from a from a customer service perspective, social's you know, not the the elephant in the room. The, you're talking about your call center operations. You're talking about your phone, your email. Um, that's where a lot of our focus as a business really was on. And so, um, in some ways, I think that there was the fight in me because we were the the little team that could. You know, I always like I always kind of refer to things like that with my with my team as we were growing of like, we're, we're the smallest team in the building, but we have the biggest impact, right? Like, cause we are truly the voice of the brand and, you know, we are not only doing it with one individual one-on-one customer, we're doing it for the world to see. And so there's a lot more impact in the work that we're doing. And I think, so there was a bit of me fighting to make sure that, the focus could always kind of come back to social and that we could continue to invest in social as a channel, invest in social as a space to continue to grow this community and grow the way that we respond. And, and as we, you know, deprecated things like the pink mustaches and as COVID hit and fist bumps became uh, taboo, yeah. you know, thinking about how do you keep that brand alive though? And that's the things that you can do on the social platforms mm-hmm. and thinking about how you kind of still deliver that lift brand and that lift moment um, so that people still feel the way that they did when they first saw the kooky cars with pink right. mustaches. Right. Yeah. And so it wasn't necessarily a fight, but it was more of a, Hey, look at us, look at all the work that we're doing too. Um, and being the smallest guy in the room, but with the essentially uh, biggest voice is what the focus was. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think to myself a little bit about how it also probably bought you some, some currency, some cachet um, with success, and then being able to shift over to bikes and scooters and roll out, you know, sort of drum roll here, the Bike Angels program. Um, which I find to be one of the more innovative programs out there that a business is running. Um, I'm fascinated by, and Koros kind of has this at the heart of our community platform, gamification, Mm -hmm. and that there's gamification in your Bike Angels program. Um, And well, why don't, for the folks playing at home, why don't I have Chris, if you could explain, take a minute or two or three, to explain Bike Angels, um, not only the origins, but kind of how it operationally works a little bit. Yeah, so uh, 
so when when Lyft first invested in micromobility, our our focus was just scooters. So when I first took over, it was really we knew that bikes were going to come in some in some fashion, but um, but we ended up acquiring a company called Motivate, who runs uh, it's I think the second largest bike. Uh, it's the first largest bike share company in the U.S. I think it's I can't remember what it is on on a global scale. Um, okay, but. Uh, you know, a lot of people still today don't don't associate Lyft with all of our brands, but City Bike, obviously, in New York is our biggest brand. So mm-hmm. everywhere you go, and I didn't even know until I went to New York after um, stepping into this world, like City Bike is part of the New York infrastructure. I mean, it is it really everywhere is. you look. Really and so um, it's really exciting to be a part of that. But we... Uh, we inherited the bike angel program. And so it was something that was running before us, which is really what the intention of the bike angel program is, is for these really loyal bike users that we Mm -hmm. talk about of that not only ride often, but also really care about biking as a means of transportation and as part of the infrastructure of the city. And so uh, what we found is that we were able to tap into these people and reward them for their efforts because oftentimes they were helping to rebalance our system. When they saw that uh, uh, stations were empty, they were going to other stations that had bikes and, and moving them for us and just doing things, taking action on our systems to keep them healthy. And so we wanted to find ways to reward them through that. So through gamification and now, you know, we're able to through alerts in the app, like alert bike angels that, hey, this station is in need of something. So, you know, right. rebalance these bikes and, and move them to this area of town before rush hour or whatever. And you get X amount yeah. of points, which convert into rewards. Um, and opening that up now to all of our bike members and saying, like, everyone has the chance to be a bike angel. Um, and I think what's great about that is right now we're running our uh, new marketing campaign, which is, yes, you are a bike person. Because I think we hear a lot like, oh, I would never do that. Or, oh, I don't want to take a bike because, you know, I'm I'm dressed this way. Or I'm not like yeah. in my helmet and my, you know, spandex right. Uh, right. biking outfit. And so, um, and it's it's not about that. It's about really just being a part of the community and us being able to help you get where you're trying to go. And in a place like New York, oftentimes a lot faster. Um, you're skipping all the traffic and, and, yeah. and flying flying to where you need to go. And yeah. so um, so we have this program for bike angels and and where I stepped in as being, you know, the lover of the social and, and having this background in social, it was like, how do we bring something to this bikes and scooters audience that we don't necessarily just replicate what we're doing for rideshare because this is a different audience that we're, that we're servicing and community just kept coming up for me because bikers are a community. They high five on the road, they're, they're bike angels. And so I thought, let's, let's build a space. Let's build the room that they can all come into and have this conversation. And so uh, we launched the bike angels community last year this year, we're getting ready to invest uh, more into it, and so that we can really start to expand and see it's how what its ROI could be, not only for our support business, but also just for our bikes, our bikers in general. Of like, what are we uh-huh. delivering to the community is a space that they can all 
interact and share best practices and share, you know, their favorite playlists to listen to while they're, you know, getting where they need to go and things like that. Right. Well, and, and again, for the folks playing at home, I don't think it could be overstated just how important bicycling is in a market like New York City. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, for folks that have never been to New York City, bicycling is, it's kind of life there yeah. in many ways. Walking, bicycling, or taking a taxi. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> those are the, or, or a ride share, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's a fool's errand to try to drive a car in New York City. Now, when we look at other urban markets, they're not that far away. I mean, you see a lot of the bikes around LA, San Francisco, Chicago, yep. and many other urban markets. Uh, obviously, when we get into mid-market to small-market cities, uh, there may not be that sort of thing happening. But when you get into a big city in the US right now, you will see people on bikes and or scooters. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of how, I mean, maybe Minneapolis in January, you might not. But um, my point here is that this is an important part of a city's culture. And it's interesting that you realize, Chris, that that cyclists in New York City, just, you know, as sort of the shining example, they do realize that operationally and culturally, the city has to run effectively with its cycling and that those stations need to kind of be balanced in their own unique way. Yep. Now, operationally, Lyft would probably have a huge expenditure if they were trying to do that manually, like to, to balance those stations. So to actually have the cyclists embracing it and putting um, you know, their love, their passion into these pro- this program, Bike Angels, uh, it's a perfect fit. It's very innovative. Uh, what I would ask you, Chris, is yeah. does the business press you or do you at night or at some whimsical time during your day, do you think about what's next? Or are you still just sort of hot with what's in front of you right now? Are you, are you thinking about what's next socially, how to further engage them, how to further gamify it? Or are you thinking... Like what's next in the ride sharing industry? I mean, do you, and, and if the answer is Jake, I got to be honest, I don't think about what's next day to day. I'm just trying to make sure that to keep the trains running on time. I mean, uh, so, but I wanted to ask, is there anything next vision wise that you fantasize about or people in the brand or kind of that you can share? That you can share, you feel comfortable yeah. sharing. Yeah, of course. I mean, of course, we we talk about you know what our vision is for the future, and we have we have plans. Um, that I won't that I won't spoil today, but um, but I do think that you know from my perspective because I really think about like how are we engaging with the with the community and and that's why I'm trying to like really prove the ROI with this community for not only Bike Angels but eventually seeing if we can scale it to all of our biking communities and any if you're a member a casual user etc that you can like somehow come to this place because to your point. In, in a market like New York, I mean, our bikes are just as essential as things like rideshare, taxis, uh, 
being able to walk somewhere, but also the subway. I mean, we are truly an essential part of, of our, of the transportation industry there and, and getting people where they need to be. And so if our system fails, uh, in whatever way, it, it disrupts people's ability to get where they need to go. And so I think about that a lot and making sure that we have the mechanics in place to resolve issues quickly. So when something happens that blocks somebody from riding or blocks a group of people from riding for whatever reasons, those are the things that I really like want to figure out how to solve faster and more efficiently. And so something that we often see one of our top areas of pain uh, in, in the support space is people that have trouble ending their ride for a number of different reasons. Sometimes our stations lose signal and uh, the station's offline for a minute. So it's not recognizing that the bike has been docked. Sometimes it's a user error and that our, our bikes can be difficult to dock sometimes, or there may be something wrong with mechanics of the station hardware or the, the bike hardware. Um, and so it's creating some kind of uh, blockage for them to be able to end their ride and it's I, I, one of the most painful experiences that we have is that when somebody docks a, a bike or thinks that they docked a bike and the ride doesn't end and they don't really know what to do, right? And there's not a lot you can do in those scenarios over the phone or over a chat session or as, as real time as you make your support channel. It can be really really difficult. And being on the other end of that, it can be very frustrating. And it could, you know, it's making you late for a date, it's making you late for work, it's whatever, right? So it's, there's a lot of frustration there. And so I think about things like the bike angels or this biking community as, wouldn't it be great if we enabled them to help our our users on the ground. So when there's somebody in need, it's kind of like, how do we send them the bat signal and say like, hey, how do you get to this person and and go help them dock their bike so that they can get on their way because you're an expert at it, right? And it takes you two seconds to do and, you're, and you are walking by anyways. Um, and so like, I think about things like that in a way that both is rewarding for the customer, obviously, because we want to incentivize them to do something like that, but also creates an experience that like, it's the same thing as if you're walking by the Apple store at the mall and you remember like, oh, hey, I'm locked out of my phone or I'm locked out of this app or something has happened. You can pop in there and instantly somebody can kind of unblock that for you. And so I think that I think about that kind of level of engagement and level of service that I'd really like to get to because this is such a critical need for people. It's not just, you know, it's not just a, it's a, it's not a nice to have product for a lot of people. This is essential way of life. How do we make sure that we're not standing in our own way for them? You know, it's, um, well, first of all, mental note here. I, yeah. When I mentioned in New York getting around, it's, taxi it's bike or it's walking i was derelict in in my duty and the sun hello come on i mean it's like an institution there yeah my my bad for getting you that but no just in speaking more about your again i'll I'll just call it a vision maybe it's a loose vision maybe (laughs) but it's a it's it's a hope it's a dream for the evolution of bike angels i love the idea of now we're at a tier two or maybe even a tier three level support, mm-hmm. right? 
And is it possible for a bike angel, who's not an actual employee of Lyft, to handle sort of tier two or even tier three levels of like what would be a support? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Because when we talk about community, we oftentimes talk about the force multiplier effect of someone just being able to answer a simple question. Mm -hmm. And that, yes, it deflects uh, uh, potentially a query to the support desk. And that's worth, depending on the price you know, of your business, maybe it's seven bucks, maybe it's 15 bucks. If you're B2B high tech, maybe it's 200 mm -hmm. bucks. But that answer lives on in perpetuity. And it can thus deflect hundreds, if not thousands, of potential support queries in the future. Doesn't really work that way in, uh, in the system for bike mm -hmm. angels. Bike angels is kind of on the spot. Uh, if you've got the time, if somebody can throw up the bat signal and there is a, uh, a, a, a Batman or Batgirl nearby, yeah. that they can yeah. help, right? I mean, that would be, but it's also a more costly ticket. Right, a more expensive ticket, um, and so to that end, I think if the vision becomes actualized, like tip of the hat, like yeah. I, I look forward to hearing more yeah. about it, Chris. Like I, 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 I would love for it to work, and I hope it works. Um, let me ask you this now: with the community itself, you, you know, here at Koros, and we've been doing community for many, yeah. many years. We always, we always think about health first, uh, making sure you get those registrations and the posts and the general engagement. But then when we talk about the ROI of the community, well, is it saving the brand money? Uh, is it making the brand money additional revenue? Do you feel like, or has anyone kind of furrowed their brow and looked at you across the table at a meeting and said, hey, is Bike Angels making us money anywhere? Do you feel like, is that any way that Bike Angels is a, can become potentially a revenue stream of sorts. I and now I'm kind of brainstorming a little yeah. bit more than that because I, I when I stretch I see Bike Angels immediately saving money and helping offset operational support costs. But as a revenue driver, I mean I see reduced churn in there. I see uh, loyalty and um, you know voice of the customer kind sure. of in there, which are a little bit more difficult to put dollar figures on immediately. Yeah. But have you looked a little bit more at sort of not just offset savings yep. or efficiency costs that Bike Angels offers, but maybe some of those other revenue streams or even, you know, qualitative things that can't be quantified? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And our, you know, our product and operations team sort of like own Bike Angels as a program and think about that from like a revenue perspective and also kind of what the savings of it could be. But then I think also to the same uh, in that same breath is like also how do we make sure that we're giving back in the same sort of ways that pay off for people to be a bike angel so that we aren't just taking from our community. We're also giving back in some kind of way, whether that's through better infrastructure and bike lanes or whether that's through something that they benefit from um, or our rewards program, uh, which Bike Angels love their, uh, love their rewards that they get. Right. But I think um, uh, because also like part of the Bike Angels rewards can be physical rewards, but there's also digital rewards like credits into your account. And so you end up potentially getting like memberships for free or things that uh, discounted memberships, depending on how many uh, Bike Angels tasks you sort of complete. Uh, 
But I think from an engagement standpoint, I do think about ROI and like, how do we utilize this community and this space that we're providing to the bike angels in a way that can drive some of those things that you just talked about. And I think that's something that I'm really focused on in this next, uh, in this next year is really building like, what is the ROI of having a space because we have the we have the bike angel program right we have these bike angels they're going to do it they're going to get their collect their rewards like the the program works and the program um, has potential for expansion but i think that there's this sort of untapped place of what happens these are all great as individuals right these are great individuals that are out doing all of these things to keep our systems healthy but what happens when we bring them all together? And I think that's this untapped potential that I hope to tap into in the next year is what if you got them in the room together? What could we really unlock? And so right. things that we're going to do that we're going to host through our community forums is, you know, virtual meetups and then potentially in-person meetups. What happens if we get our top 10 bike angels in a room together to share product feedback or to share some of these visions or share like, what do you as a bike angel want more of? What do you want to do for city bike Mm -hmm. to help keep it healthy? Like what are some of these things that we could really tap into from user, um, user feedback and, and really being the sort of voice for them that then we can bring back to our product and operations teams to say, here's what, you guys should go build. Here's what the here's how the future of this program should look right. because we're hearing it from them. And when they all got together, it was magic. And here's something that we could really unlock through them because they're, like I said, like just like you with the Grateful Dead, you loyal follower would you know, or I don't know if you would, but you know, I can I know a lot of people that travel on the road and would yeah. see them at all of their shows and. You know, that's the kind of person that we that a bike angel is for the biking community. And so, what happens when they all get together? It's it's magic. It's party. Yeah, right? that that it's that's exactly right. And uh yeah, it's it's definitely not a stretch to throw me in there. Um, in that in that <laughs> stew. Um, yeah. And I'm reminded of, of course, back in the day when I lived in San Francisco, a, a crazy phenomena that I think has caught on to many other cities subsequently was every Friday night, early in the evening, we had this thing called critical mass, Mm -hmm. which is where hundreds, if not thousands of cyclists would ride through the city together, kind of having fun, you know, waving flashlights around and, you know, making noise, hooting and hollering. And sometimes much to the chagrin of, of drivers who were wanting to get home for the weekend, you know, all of a sudden, you're waiting at the light longer than you should. It's now a green light because hundreds or thousands of cyclists are going by. That's the power that we're looking at, right? Yeah. Um, that once you get a bunch of people together, magic can happen, right? Um, yeah, so, absolutely. Well, Chris, I, I definitely want to thank you for your time today and also your willingness to share a little bit about your story personally as well as professionally of course. And about c- kind of what Lyft's doing. I, I would, Coros is fortunate enough to work with many uh visionary brands and we have some iconic brands in our portfolio there are always a few that stand out though in terms of just slightly a little different than the other brands Mm -hmm. and i i throw lift in that in that lot you know um going back to the fist bump and the pink mustaches 
but even programs like bike Angel, bike angels that are these are different things that you see in traditional business um and i love that we uh have you as a customer and you chris as an advocate and you know someone who uh pushes us a little bit and also is willing to take the time and and do this podcast uh with me so i appreciate it yeah, absolutely. I think it's like super important to have these conversations. And, you know, you mentioned the brands that Coros brings to the table. And uh, I remember going to the Engage conference pre-pandemic. I think it was the one right before the <laughs> pandemic in Austin and uh, super fun experience, just like meet with the other brands and talk about yeah. best practices. And it was really what led me to community was the experience I had at Engage. And so um, equally, like I definitely, I know, you and several others from Chorus always refer to me as an advocate, but I think that that's also because you guys have fostered that, um, that pr you guys foster it through the product that you guys provide and then the space through the community that you've, that you've built around. I still keep in touch with several of the colleagues and things that I have met at, uh, yeah. through Engage. So, um, yeah, shout out to Ashley Nickel. Yes. <laughs> yes. And Ashley Nickel, uh, yeah. she's, she's my rock star there. So, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, cool, Chris. Well, thank you again. I look forward to to seeing you around, and hopefully, you know, as the pandemic dissipates, I I I like to remain optimistic on all that stuff. Hopefully, we'll have uh, an engage uh, another engage event where I see you, or maybe who knows? Maybe I'll make it down to Nashville to yeah. talk ROI. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Come on. All right. Well, thanks again. Be good. Be safe. And if you can't be good, be quick, Chris. Yeah, right? thanks for having me. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Yeah. See ya. Thanks for spending time with us today on Titans of Customer Engagement, a customer experience podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, leave us a review, and spread the word. Your feedback means a lot to us. Continue the conversation on Koros Atlas at community.koros.com. Until next time. The CX world is now digital first. It's what customers expect and Koros can help. Koros is an award-winning customer engagement platform built to turn those siloed interactions with your customer into enterprise value. You can harness the power of human connection across the customer experience from outbound marketing, social, messaging, chat and SMS to owned and digital communities. Customer engagement means staying always connected. Find out how customer-first software and services can make you a titan of customer engagement at koros.com.